Welcome to My Fertility Journey, Life Chats with Bianca Bullissian. Hello, welcome to the show and thanks for tuning in today. In today's Life Chat, I have a very special warrior. Tanisha is a cancer survivor and a TTC warrior. She has an amazing, resilient spirit and has overcome so much already, yet she's still in the thick of it, trying to have her baby. The appointments, injections, procedures, and biopsy checkups. It was very enlightening to see how she navigates having to undergo fertility treatment due to her cancer diagnosis. It's a different perspective and one that needs to be out there so people feel less alone. So what Tanisha is doing, like I'm so proud of her just telling her story and trying to support people out there that are on similar situation as she is. So I hope this conversation of strength and hope inspires you today. Hello, Tanisha. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. And I am super excited to talk to you about your journey and all the inspirational things that you have to share with me and the listeners today. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yes. So if you don't mind, let's start with a little bit, anything you want to share about your background, how you met your husband, so we get to know a bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. So um, we've been together about seven years now, um, and we met in post-secondary, so college. Um, We were both studying early childhood education, um, which I might add, neither of us are practicing at the moment, so Mm -hmm. that's interesting. But um, yeah, so we met, um, we were friends at first, we had the same classes, um, and then um, as school started to end and everything was um, moving forward, we kept in touch, and then the relationship sort of developed from there. Um, and so, yeah, we've been together for seven years. Um, a little bit about myself. Um, I born and raised in Toronto, um, and grew up, um, in the heart of Toronto, um, in the GTA. I went to school, um, in French immersion, so I am bilingual, um, and I do use that in my work, um. So in terms of um, work, what I do now, uh, I am working from home right now. Um, As with the pandemic, um, I did lose my full-time job. Um, But right now I'm working on the phone using my bilingual language um, in hopes to soon return to my full-time job, which is um, working as a service attendant on Via Rail Canada. Um, and so I like to tell people the little explanation is that it's basically a service attendant, like a flight attendant, but on a train. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. And so my husband has his own commercial cleaning company. Um, and so I help him with that as well here and there. Um, but for the most part, yeah. Um, both my parents are Jamaican, came here when they were very young. Um, and then all my family sort of migrated a little bit after that. Mm. And um, 
yeah, I don't know what else about myself. <laughs> that was a lot. That's yeah, a little, thank you. Yeah, that's a little yeah. rough summary. <laughs> it's nice to be able to paint a picture, you know, so we um, know where the person's coming from. So mm -hmm. yeah, thanks for sharing that. So let's go, let's sort of dive into sort of the fertility theme and start with how fertility was introduced to you as a young girl or young adults. Yeah, so fertility was never something that I knew in, before two years ago, um, just something I sort of became familiar with in the last two years. And it was introduced to me by um, my gynecological oncologist. Um, her name is Dr. Sarah Ferguson at Princess Margaret. Um, and when I was referred to her from my regular gynecologist, um, we were speaking about treatment options and what that looked like going forward. Um, and of course, um, being a young woman of childbearing years, um, she then introduced fertility. Um, and that's what I um, was referred to Dr. Glass, Dr. Karen Glass at Create Fertility Center. And um, that's my first introduction to fertility. Okay. Yeah. Big shout out to Create Fertility. So we're big, yes. we're big fans of them. Yes, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, right? How we just can go about our whole life, like not knowing all the different troubles that we can come okay. across with within the fertility or infertility um, component of our whole health, right? So it's right, yeah, exactly. it's just really fascinating. So how did um, how did it start with you and your husband, like deciding to to conceive and then it not happening, and then it seems like you had quite a bit of bumps along the road there. If you would like I did. Yeah. <laughs> I know this is a uh, long breath, so I apologize. So fertility was actually interest, uh, introduced to me as a means um, of sparing my fertility um, and not so much as an issue of getting pregnant in a sense, um, because I have... Um, I don't even know what I should say, if have or had um, mm. uterine cancer, um, the um, prognosis or the diagnosis was um, grade one uterine cancer with invasion into the uterine wall. Um, and there was a tumor um, measuring a significant size um, in the uterine. And the um, treatment for that was a full hysterectomy and um, bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy, so the uterus and the ovaries and the tubes. Mm -hmm. um, so of course you can imagine that was a shock to hear <laughs> at 27 mm -hmm. years old, um, 26 actually, because it's been two years, um, you know, always had the dream of having children and to be told that that wouldn't be possible or even to carry my own children wouldn't be mm -hmm. possible was very shocking and very, um, you know, damaging to, to my self-esteem. And um, of course I had my mother's support and my aunt's support who was there. And nice. um, we were all just in tears at that point. Um, so, you know, through talking to them and finally, you know, accepting it, it took a while to accept. Um, I decided to go ahead with fertility sparing. So that would include IVF. Um, so um, freezing um, eggs and also fertilized embryos. Mm -hmm. um, so I started that process. Um, I met Dr. Glass and we came together and, um, you know, we decided that that was going to be the best option. So I went through that cycle um, and thanks to our wonderful um, healthcare system that was covered. And so 
nothing was, you know, you know, off limits. I didn't have to think about, okay, well, I can't afford this or this is too much. So, um, you know, I really do appreciate that. Um, And so, yeah, we went through that and I did the full treatment and was about to get ready for the surgery. And then the fear just set in. I was not, I don't like any kind of surgery. Mm. Um, I don't even like to get a needle. So um, to be put under and to have to have, you know, essentially it's castration, you know, the the people don't want to say that, but you know, that's what it is. And that kind of fear set in and I just couldn't go through with it. The surgery was booked for February um, and I couldn't do it. I called them back and I was like, I just can't let this go. And um, I need some more time. And then Mm -hmm. COVID came and they weren't doing any surgeries anymore. Um, And so it became about just monitoring it, making sure Mm -hmm. that it doesn't grow and um, that I was still okay while there was no surgeries. Um, So it's funny enough, I saw Dr. Ferguson, who's a specialist in young women's cancers um, because of my age, um, but also because of the new sort of technology or the new treatment that she was um, looking into, which was to use an IUD with a high level of progesterone um, to see if that can help the uterus to revert and to help the cancer to to shrink and to go back to normal. Now, the stipulation with that is you can't have the cancer growing into the muscle. It kind of has to sit right on the uterus lining. Um, So she wasn't that once she saw that on the MRI, she was like, that's not an option for you. Um, But the pills that I was taking at the time to help keep the cancer at bay um, were progesterone pills um, where I couldn't be on those and do fertility treatments because mm-hmm. the fertility drugs go through my bloodstream and so does the um, so does the progesterone pill. So I ended up having to get an IUD anyways. Um, and so I had, I got that done and was doing the fertility. Um, and I just, at the point where I couldn't do the surgery, I was said, okay, how about we just try it? Can we just see if you know, I know all of the odds are stacked against it, but can we just try and see if the IUD will work? They said, well, you know, it's up to you. We can't force you to have surgery. Um, so, you know, I guess she could see my desperation. And so she allowed me to, despite, you know, her medical advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did it. And then that's how I ended up to where I am today. Long story short, <laughs> um, to where we're doing IUI and um, the cancer right now, there's no um, visible um, cancer cells. IUD worked on me despite yeah. what they what they were initially saying. Um, I had the IUD in for nine months and um, a couple months ago took it out. And now we're, you know, in that period of trying to conceive and get that done before it grows back or there's a chance for it to grow back. So yeah. that's where we're at now. Wow, that's that's quite a story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, there's so yeah, there's so much that we can unpack there if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah, just you know, we can share as many details. And I know it gets emotional too um, as we talk about mm-hmm. it more. But if we can go back to the um, the diagnosis or before the diagnosis of the uterine cancer, were there any symptoms? Like, how did you find out? Because it is like you said, you were 
so you are so young and mm-hmm. sometimes we don't expect right these things to to show up and happen yeah and absolutely. yeah was there any um anything with the family or yeah so funny enough my um grandmother my maternal grandmother on my mom's side um she actually had uterine cancer and um by the time that they uh found out um it was by then stage four um and it was already metastatic so it was already traveling to her other organs um and so that you know prognosis was not um in her favor and she did pass um five years now um and so you know we didn't think at the time okay well let's you know look into our family history we had never ever dealt with anything i say to or my family says that our life almost was perfect until up until mm-hmm. that point we'd never lost any my great grandmother was still alive at that point um healthy doing fine um so you know it was a bit of a shock so we never did look into okay well I have two other girl cousins. My mom has a sister and a brother with two other daughters. And we never thought to look, okay, well, what if this could be a, a genetic thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of the symptom that I felt, um, it was a, a lower right, right quadrant pain. Um, and it was intermittent. So sometimes I would feel it just on out of the blue. Or sometimes it was agitated if I slept on my stomach and hyperextended the right side. Um, And now looking back, it was also triggered by ovulation as well. Um, So just, you know, the regular cycle just growing there. And so I didn't know what this pain was. And, um, you know, unfortunately kind of a little bit scared to go to the doctor because I didn't want to have to do all of the, you know, ultrasound and the pap smears and all that kind of stuff, you know, was a little bit embarrassing to me. But I remember clearly this one week I got the pain and it was just like a 10 out of a 10 pain. And I could not, I couldn't go to work. And I'm like, okay, this is not normal. I have to go see my doctor. So I went to see my GP general practitioner and she did ultrasounds, um, sonograms, and she noticed there was a, um, a, does she call it now? Oh my goodness, I'm forgetting the word. Um, what did she call it? She noticed um, a polyp. Sorry, there it is. Mm, <laughs> she yes, noticed a yes. polyp. So she referred me to a gynecologist. Um, and I saw her, Dr. Elise Lackey, um, at North York General. And um, she um, did her workup, ultrasound blood work. Um, and she found that there was a polyp there. So I did have a polypectomy, which is just to look in, um, look at the lining of the uterus and also to remove it. And so she did biopsies on that. And that was in October, two years ago. Uh, That was in, sorry, August, two years ago. So 2019. Mm -hmm. And um, August, so time passed. I didn't really think um, she was going to call me back. Time passed, and I, she called me in August, um, and I'm sorry, she called me in October, and I went to see her, and she, she said, you know, we did the polypectomy and we did the biopsy, um, and there was traces of cancer cells in the biopsy, and so of course, a young person hearing about that, my blood ran the coldest I've ever felt my body. Um, Run, I even started sweating. And so she just kind of explained to me 
you know, it's very small, very minute. We even had to run the test twice to make sure that we were seeing what we were seeing. And then that's when she referred me to Dr. Ferguson. So in terms of symptoms, not very many that you would say, you know, oh my gosh, you know, it's just this right lower quadrant pain. And, you know, being women and our menstrual cycles, we have pain in that area all the time. So it's not really something that sticks out to you. You just kind of say, oh, well, you know, that's how it is, yeah, <laughs> you know. just normal. And we're told that right. at the time too, exactly. right? That having pain like mm-hmm. that is normal. Even a 10 out of 10. Even, but then right. it gets to a point where you're like, no, this, there's something to be looked at here. Um, so nothing, but nothing that was like nothing intense major. bleeding or... Yeah, so it's interesting. Huh? I'm glad that you that you caught it the way mm-hmm. the way you did, and that you've had a good doctor that took you seriously, also. Right. Exactly. A lot of time. Yeah, there's a lot of um, gaslighting and dismissing symptoms and stuff. So I'm glad that you got the care right away. I wanted to touch a bit, like you said, like you mentioned, that you had your mom and your aunt there. And yeah. yes, and that support is so important. So can you share a bit about, you know, how the the family is important, like even in your in your background, if that's a thing and and mm-hmm. how how you coped with that because and and how you all coped with that right you your husband right. your family because it's not just the person that's sick like the ca- the carers around also suffer a lot right. too right yeah yeah for sure and they they did I think um, you know losing my grandmother and it now happening to me was a big um, a big trigger for them you know mm-hmm. they obviously it was so fresh in their minds still um and so they yeah they were they were beside themselves to say the least um just having to you know think about what happened to my grandmother and what was the extent of my cancer we still by that time had very little information about um you know how it was what it was and how it was affecting me and you know they were a little bit puzzled because I was you know other than the pain, fine, healthy, uh, still active. Um, so they weren't really understanding. Um, but they were, yeah, they were there. My mom and my aunt, um, definitely advocates for sure. And it's good to, I definitely, you know, owe them the biggest gratitude because they thought of things that I wouldn't think of being in the situations, questions to ask, um, you know, having lived longer and knowing um, what what needs to be asked and just, you know, prodding the doctors for information because, you know, we go to the doctor and their word is as good as gold, right? You don't think to question what they're saying, right? So yeah. um, they were, you know, after the initial shock, you know, kind of weared off a little, they went into, okay, what can we do? How can we, you know, help her and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So having their support was, you know, a tremendous blessing. And, um, you know, I tell them all the time (laughs) that, Mm -hmm. you know, they really helped me get through it. Um, You know, for my husband, in terms of his emotions, um, you know, in our culture, it's not really talked about very mm-hmm. much and um especially for him he he grew up in Jamaica and came here when he was 16 so he still has 
that deep rooted culture in him. Whereas, yeah. you know, my parents and my aunt and stuff like that, they've been here for a while. So they, they're a little bit more um, Canadian, I guess, mm-hmm. in that way. Um, but for him, it was just like, okay, well, you know, that's, this is this, you, you have this, how do we fix it so that it doesn't progress? Um, mm-hmm. And it, I think it was hard for him internally seeing that we both came from different not different backgrounds, but different upbringings. So his mm-hmm. parents were very strict and very um, matter of fact. Whereas here in Canada, with my parents and growing up here, um, that you know we talk about emotions more. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel certain things, right? So um, for us, there was a little bit of headbutting there because it to me felt a little you know, nonchalant to him, or he didn't care about the emotional piece. He was just, okay, well, if they're saying the surgery is what's going to help you do the surgery. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that, that part, we struggled a little bit on that part, but, you know, talked through it. And um, so, yeah, I, they, my family was my biggest advocate. They all became my biggest advocate. And um, I think the questions and the asking is what helped me make my decision um, and helped me to, you know, think about it, explore options. Don't just take what they're saying. Um, you know, there's, there's tons of things out there, tons of resources out there, you know, do your research, educate yourself, um, because once you do it, you can't go back. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's a big, that's a big one. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so like, we're so vulnerable and overwhelmed, right? When we go to the doctors, especially, I can't imagine a, a diagnosis like that. And on top of all the, the, the feelings and stuff and, and the woman and just the whole thing, mm-hmm. right. It's just sort of piles up. So it's so important to have someone there with you, which I right. know, especially now I feel um, so horrible for patients that are going through anything like this, like not right. being able to have like a partner or your support person with you going to treatments and, and appointments and stuff because of the pandemic. But it is important. Like you said, I love um, what you said of them having the questions and stuff, because right. I went through that similar situation with my grandmother my grandmother had uterine cancer also and yeah and she she went through a mild um, bout of chemo and then radiation was the toughest one she recovered and then it metastasized um, four years later I okay. came back and that's what um, took her eventually also five years ago. So it was just oh. as you were telling the story, yeah, it was just sort of coming back to me. But she I would go with her and I would have, again, like you said, you know, a list of, of questions and stuff because the doctors, they also come in so fast right and in and out and if you're not sort of prepared to to tackle the situation it just goes right through you and then you find yourself alone in the in the office in again the room, yeah. or just leaving the room again and you're like oh what, what just happened right so right, exactly. oh, I'm, I'm I'm happy that you had that that support it's just so important did you yeah. did you have any um self-care routines or anything that you did just for yourself in that time or even just like the research you mentioned yeah so um in terms of one of the things that they said um among many um that kind of caused the cancer gave it kind of a good um setting to grow was um of course weight is one Mm -hmm. um you know 
as women, the more weight we have, the more estrogen we produce. Um, and estrogen was the one of the causes as well. So weight, um, they don't say high estrogen, they say continuing estrogen. So your estrogen is supposed to rise and fall with your cycle. So it wasn't with mine. Um, and then that's how they determined the PCOS um, as well. So those three things, the weight, the, the high rise or the continuing estrogen and then the PCOS. So the cycle wasn't regular. So it wasn't, you know, clearing the uterine lining as it's supposed to. And so it was mm -hmm. just rich for cancer to start growing. Um, so in terms of research, I, you know, I did all that research and, you know, on top of researching diets just for general weight loss, you have to research now for what can I eat that will benefit me to help reduce my cancer. You know, a lot of people mm -hmm. talked about um, alkalinity, alkaline diets, um, and having your body more alkaline. Um, so yeah, I did all those research, but I would have to say doing the research and putting it into practice is not as easy um, as you would think. So um, I, you know, I had all the information, but, you know, to put it into practice was the hardest part. And, you know, I'm still learning and I'm still trying to, you know, keep active, um, watch, you know, it, as a matter of speaking, watch what I eat and, you know, make sure that my health kind of comes first. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is such, that is such a wise um, statement or comment you made that it's like mm -hmm. you do all the research you learn you learn you learn but in the end of the day like applying those things it's just right a whole other beast yeah so absolutely like if anyone is listening and trying to apply different things it's mm -hmm. baby steps it's one thing at a time one day at a right. time because yeah it's so hard um to to change habits and it, it can be overwhelming too right yeah, and it's hard when you know that this is, you know, kind of a life or death thing, like this is to mm -hmm. help save your life. It, it's kind of hard. It's like, why am I not applying this? This is supposed to save my life. But we're creatures of habit. And, yeah. you know, if it's not a habit that we know, you know, it's very hard to put into practice. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then yeah. there's the guilt on top of that. And right. Yeah, exactly. A lot. A lot to manage. Yeah. So give yourself grace and time. And, and time. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Everything comes with time. Um, do you feel that the diagnosis and then going through the treatment, the IVF treatment, that was like literally like you're saving your your babies, right, for the future, did that mm -hmm. change you as, like, as a woman, as a person, anything to share about that? Yeah, so, I mean, that changed, for me, mostly my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I think we grow up thinking that, okay, well, you know, I'm a girl, and this works this way, and, mm -hmm. you know, eventually, whenever you're ready, you just, you know, get pregnant the natural way, right? You're not yeah. really thinking of these other, you know, things. And you hear about surrogacy and you hear about people who can't have babies, but you never think it's you, right? Or you never think it'll happen to you. Yeah. So yeah, it changed my perspective and my appreciation for just the science of making a baby or like creating life. You know, it takes a lot. I'm always in awe of, you know, um, all the, the doctors that create who just are, you know, on the money with it, because it really is a science and you have to monitor 
a, a woman's cycle, which is completely different for everybody. Um, so it changed, it changed for me, my perspective and how I view, um, you know, conception and how I view life just to be more appreciative of it. And we wake up and we're breathing and we just think that it's normal, but there are people who don't wake up and there are people who are going through other things. And, um, so for me, it just made me more aware. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, it's nice to appreciate that in a way, mm -hmm. because really the world is not how it's presented a lot of the times when we're, when we're younger, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, do, would you mind sharing a bit about how your IVF round was? So I know it, it yeah. cause it's a very different circumstance, um, versus like the person that's trying for a long time and then, oh, that's not working. Let's do IVF. Like you came through a different path, right? Right. Um, yeah. So if you don't mind sharing how that was, and I know, you know, the injection, you said you also don't like needles, right? So right. I, there's a yeah. lot of needles on IVF. So yeah. How was that oh, for, yeah. for the, for the pair of you? Um, it was interesting. Like you said, I don't like needles at all. I've never <laughs> been, my pain threshold is as low as it can go. Oh. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to now have to not only get needles, but give them to myself. Because um, IVF, as you know, it's um, something that you do they, to take home kind of a yeah. thing. And you know, every day you give yourself your needle and you do the stuff, but it was um it was nerve wracking for me just yeah. having to, okay, am I doing this right? I don't want to mess it up. Like I only have one chance at this. And, um, you know, I felt like I was not fit to be doing this. And um, I do have to mention, they do have the option for them to do it, but that would mean that you would have to go to the clinic every day yeah. to get your shot. Right. So it's not really conducive if you're someone who has a busy life or something like that. So yeah, um, yeah for me, it was, you know, a little shocking at first. Um, but in terms of the actual process, um, a lot of nerves, um, even the procedure to remove the eggs at the end um, was very nerve wracking. I was very scared. I wasn't sure what would happen, how mm -hmm. this would work. Um, you know, but again, with my support system, with my, my mom, my aunt, um, and my husband, Ricardo, <laughs> he, mm -hmm. they were just like, you know, you got this. And they were there for me. And they said, look at it the, at the bright side, you know, you may not be able to carry any children, um, but, you know, at least there, this technology exists for yeah. us to still have a family, right? Um, and so, yeah, and the nurses in the OR at Create Fertility are very kind, very, um, you know, respectful, and they understand that it's not easy, yeah. <laughs> you know, especially coming from the avenue that I came from, this was you know, infertility based on cancer. This wasn't just regular um, infertility, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, it was a little bit hard. I had my emotional days and, you know, sitting in the OR, there's other patients there who are there for embryo transfers. Like they're getting, you know, to have mm -hmm. their embryo transfers or even in the waiting room, you know, people are there who have just been you know, have just gotten pregnant and are there yeah. to get ultrasounds. And, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, why me? You know, why can't I be like that woman over there who, you know, it was just a matter of she's not getting pregnant. She's not sick with cancer or, or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I had my emotional days, but um, 
I think with the support I had, I was able to get through it a little bit better. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm impressed mm-hmm. that you did your your own needles because I also yeah. hate needles and my husband just had to do all of them. I can't even now I can actually like sort of look as he was mm-hmm. preparing the needles and stuff. And but if, like the first round that we did, I would I would cry for about 15 minutes. I would put my alarm 15 oh minutes my. roughly <laughs> before and then right. I it would it would um it would ring and then I tell him, okay, can you just go prepare the, the drugs? Because some take a while, right? That you have to right. inject and mix and wait to solve and blah, blah. So yes. he would go take care of that while I was crying <laughs> for about 15 minutes. Oh, it was oh, no. so horrible. And then he would do it and then I would cry another 15 minutes. It was horrible. So oh. I'm, I'm very impressed that you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, warrior. it took me, I, it, I tell you if I was scared Ricardo was like a million times more afraid because I did ask him I'm like can you just do it for me and he's like he's like no I would I would feel unsafe doing it you just do it so I had to buck up and put on my good big girl pants and just just get it it done yeah (laughs) Yeah. Leo was quite pale and and uh didn't look very very well the first few times and then he he got he got the hang of it but yeah I can Mm -hmm. I can imagine it's hard it's hard for us for them to 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 do that with us knowing all the the things that are behind that right it's not just the needle but I'm always impressed too on how the doctors I'm like are you sure that you're gonna just let us take these needles right home with like no training whatsoever Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's why I I say like on on forums and stuff there's always questions like oh it was like I don't know there was just like a little drop of of the liquid before or after I did the shot or I did it just a little bit higher than the nurse said is that okay and I'm like I am sure it's fine because if it was that specific I don't think they would let us do it unsupervised right exactly (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> at least there's that. I'm sure there's a lot of leeway um there for us to to mess up. I wanted to ask you a question about the PCOS. So you mentioned that right. briefly. And mm-hmm. um yeah, so that is also like a sign of like the hormones are not balanced through your cycle and did okay. you have any reaction through the IVF rounds? Because I know it can yeah. be very uncomfortable with the like the amount of eggs that you can produce during the mm-hmm. the IVF not rounds I meant the IVF injections. Right. Yeah. So, um, in terms of the PCOS, yeah, that even that PCOS was not um, introduced to me in the initial um, diagnosis of the uterine cancer. I found that out um, a little bit later, um, and you know not to not to put anyone down but it actually was um a sign um that i had pcos when i was seeing my general practitioner um and you know unfortunately it was overlooked it wasn't mentioned to me that this is a possibility and that pcos causes uterine cancer mm-hmm. um and so you know the the pain the irregular periods um the you know some and when we say irregular we're talking you know beyond 35 and 40 days. And that's what I was experiencing. Um, So the PCOS was kind of something I had to get used to or get to know as well on top of the the cancer diagnosis. And then once I found out that it created 
bladder was, you know, a part in creating the cancer. It was, you know, even worse. So Mm -hmm. I would have to say, you know, as a little side note, you know, pay attention to your cycle and just, you know, talk to your general practitioners, be your own advocate and tell them, you know, something is wrong. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in terms of experiencing that with the IVF injections, yeah, once the um, follicles, which is where the eggs um, sit, once they became, you know, big and mature with eggs that were ready, it was very uncomfortable. I feel like I was walking a little bit bent over. Mm. Um, And with PCOS, you do develop cysts on your ovaries. And so those follicles were also pressing on cysts as they were growing. Mm. And so it was, it was very uncomfortable, very sore, very tender. Um, and I remember just the last day or second to last day, just going there almost in tears, just like, you know, is this almost done yet? Like what is, what is going on? And so, yeah, that was my experience with, with the PCOS and the injections, just a lot of soreness and, um, you know, it didn't really affect me sort of with the injections itself, but, Mm -hmm. um, once they started to grow and were, you know, ready to, to be extracted, then it was yeah. a little uncomfortable. Yeah, for yeah, sure. That's a lot. It's a lot to, it's a lot happening in there. Right. With all that stimulation. Yeah. Um, I would like to go into next, cause you mentioned the IUI. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into sort of how, how you guys decided to do that because, so you did the IVF to freeze, right. Mm-hmm. But then yep. you, you decided not to go ahead with the surgery. Right. What was the decision? And I'm sure with Dr. Glass, and that was like a combination of you guys deciding doing the IUI versus doing a transfer of an embryo, for example. Yeah. So I think their decision on that portion um, to do the IUI was based um, on just the results of the the MRIs that I was doing. Um, And they just noticed that, um, that the cancer was gone. And other than, you know, the initial problems like the PCOS and um, the the polyps that were in the uterus, other than that, it looked to them, you know, pretty healthy and they mm-hmm. feel that it would be able to create a baby and, um, and so to host amazing. a baby healthily. Right. So amazing. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think about it all the time and I just, mm-hmm. I'm in disbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, I have so, goosebumps yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. once I uh, removed the IUD and did um, a bunch of tests, they um, also, I should mention the um, IUI versus transfer is they do the IUI um, as long as your fallopian tubes are able to um, are open and don't have any scar tissue. Yeah. And the fact that I had the polypectomy, I think she had that concern that um, just the irritation mm-hmm. may have caused any scar tissue there. So she wanted to double check. So I did do um, a fallopian tube test, which is where they just make sure that um, a dye can go through yeah. the tubes and come back out successfully. And that way they know that everything can pass through. Um, so with all those tests and with the fallopian tube test, they figured, you know, let's try the IUI. Um, you know, you are ovulating um, and you do have a partner. So let's just try the IUI, right? So that's how we came to that decision. Um, now her, what she says to me all the time and her being Dr. Glass um, is that she only wants to try it once. And I know some people tend to do Mm. two or three times. Um, But with my cancer and the possibility of it growing out now, growing back, actually, now that the um, IUD is out, 
um, is very concerning to them. So they want to make sure that, you know, they get a conception very fast. Um, and so she only gave me one chance to do the IUI. And so now we're, you know, waiting. The procedure was done on Sunday. Um, and so now we're waiting. But, you know, if for any reason it doesn't take, um, then she will go to the embryo transfer. Okay. Um, so I have two embryos frozen at the moment. And mm -hmm. um, I still have some eggs that we could use um, to fertilize because she wants to get it done in a timely fashion for sure. Okay. Yeah, so that's okay. how we came to the decision. Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious because I don't really know sort of all the details behind it. And since mm -hmm. you already had the embryos, I was just wondering what was the decision there. So that was, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, yeah and every case is so different, like you said, right? It could, right. yeah, depending on the test and the results, it could have been a different decision. But that's, that's lovely because the IUI also is more natural, less invasive sort of procedure. Exactly. So yeah, <laughs> I'm cheering for you so bad right now. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just trying to not even drive myself crazy thinking yes. about it. I'm just trying Don't. to relax. And yeah. when it's your time, then you go. So yes, exactly. for sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the days feel so slow going by, but the mm -hmm. once you arrive there doing the test, it will be like, oh, here we are. It seems like it went by fast. So it's a weird, right, exactly. of, yeah, it's a weird timely situation there. So mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you a bit mm -hmm. about your Instagram account. So that's where mm -hmm. we met and you are are starting to share more and more about it mm -hmm. on that account and I wanted to know how was your decision on sharing your journey and what are your what are your goals for the future with your account absolutely yeah so um I started to share just because um I felt like there was not um a lot of um information and advocacy, especially for young people. Um, and I felt like there's not, there, every person's situation is unique and you can learn from everybody. Um, and so my story has its own unique kind of spin. And I feel like there may be somebody else out there experiencing something similar um, that would benefit from my experience and what I've been through and um, even learning what to do or how they can proceed going forward. Um, so I started a new Instagram um, blog and it's tenacious uh, dot tanisha so it's tenacious dot ta dot nisha um, and I just want to share everything about cancer um, PCOS endometriosis which is also another diagnosis that I received okay. um, and so yeah I'm at, I'm at the trifecta here so mm -hmm. uh, I just want to you know, share with everybody my experience. And so hopefully I can reach more people, more young people who have this dream of having kids, but don't know which direction to go. Um, and of course, my fertility journey as well, because I think the two separate, the cancer portion and the fertility portion are two areas where you know people can learn from what I've gone through for sure yes absolutely mm. well especially when you have something that intersects like that and you have to make such tough decisions right like having a surgery like a hysterectomy is a huge decision not having a surgery is a huge right. decision too <laughs> so like my hat's off to you and my just admiration for um, for just putting your foot down with when you had the 
the whatever you want to call it, right? You said you were um, not ready or scared of the surgery, but you know that gut feeling that comes and you're like, I'm not ready for this. This is not supposed to happen right now is Mm -hmm. just what we need to honor more and more, I find, Um, especially as women going through the medical system because there's just so much unfairness um, going on right out there yeah yeah so um so that's beautiful I just I just love talking to people like we were talking about before we started recording it's just everyone's story is so different yet we have all these similarities that we can um relate to and help each other and support each other yeah absolutely so we're gonna put your handles on the notes of the episode so people can find you and follow your story and learn and be inspired um well to wrap it up I would like to ask if you have any recommendation or advice anything like a quote some people mention books or a person that sort of supported you through the your struggles yeah I would say um one piece that I kind of um, took from it um, is just kind of advice I could say and it's to be kind of your own doctor be your own advocate because only you know your body and you know what you're comfortable with yes Mm -hmm. you take into consideration the doctors and um, you take seriously what they're saying but if something doesn't feel right to you question it ask questions that's what they're there for um, and you know you need to feel comfortable about the decisions you're making before you make them. So be your own advocate, ask the hard, tough questions to the doctors and make them really explain to you what is what they are thinking to do. So I would say that that would be my, my advice to everyone. Yeah, exactly. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, beautiful. Very, very, very important. Well, it was a pleasure to sit with you finally. Yes, Yes. I know. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, just anyone who would like to contact me or ask any questions, you know, I'm definitely open to, to sharing more. Perfect. That's perfect. So we'll see you soon and we'll keep on in touch. Yeah. All right. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you. Ah, what an amazing woman. I am just so proud of her. We have been in contact since this interview and we now just text each other literally every day. She truly inspires me with her strength and she's so caring. She's constantly texting me, asking me how I am, how baby Groot's doing and it's just I am so happy to have her in my life I truly truly am so Tanisha it's all all my love all my love to you girl her Instagram handles are on the notes make sure that you check that out and you follow her to see all that she's doing for the community take care stay safe Remember, if you have an extra minute today, if you can follow, send us a comment or a review and share print screen if you can. And I will see you guys all next Tuesday. Lots of love. Bye.
This podcast wouldn't be up and running if it wasn't for the help of a few very special people. You can find my special thanks to them all at myfertilityjourney.ca. And if you want to keep in touch, find me on Instagram on at myfertilityjourney.ca. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, leave a review to support the show, and share it with anyone you think might benefit from it. Love you all, and I'll see you soon.